Hey, welcome back to Intimate Interactions. Let's get back to discussing the ways we share love and intimacy with our fellow humans. Relationships, kink, polyamory, group sex, it's time to unlearn stigma and live our best lives as our best selves. All thanks to my amazing Patreon supporters. Intimate Interactions has no ads but this one. If you want to keep it that way, you can go to patreon.com slash victorsalmon. You get access to exclusive premium content like all of my coping with jealousy stuff. And hey, if that makes you jealous of my patrons, it sounds like it might be time to sign up. Free resources are available at victorsalmon.com slash resources, and book recommendations are at intimatepodcast.com forward slash books. Also, my Patreon supporters don't have to listen to this ad. Now, let's talk about the episode. Jazz Goldman and I drive to the Rifle Bird Sanctuary today for a fun day out and have a conversation about their experiences in group relationships like the triad they were in during college. They discuss the needs of the individual versus those of the group, a la Spock, or if you prefer the Three Musketeers, or insert whatever French philosopher inspired the themes in that book. Anyways, they discuss the benefits and drawbacks, so let's talk less about philosophy and more about sex and triads here on Intimate Interactions. So we are going today to Rifle Bird Sanctuary. I'm going to put my hair in a ponytail because this is not cute. I mean, I think you look cute regardless. Really? but With all of it swept back and... I mean, it's, it's kind of adorable in that you're like, I'm podcasting, and you do look a little bit dorky. Yeah. But I understand the desire to put your hair in a ponytail. It's going to be really windy when we get to Rifle, so, you know, you do you. are so sweet adjusting the mirror so that I can see myself better as I put my hair up in what is going to look really goofy without the headphones, so I'm going to keep them on now. That's adorable. Middle so, part bun with headphones is, is better than without the headphones. I'm actually, I'm really bad at angling the microphone. I consistently forget, so I'm always impressed when you remember to angle it towards me because mm-hmm. I don't have the monitor headphones on, so I can't tell when, yeah. like, the mic's not picking stuff up. Mm-hmm. All right, so we're going to be going to... We're going to be going to Rifle Bird Sanctuary today. We're going to see the birds. Yes, we are. The pretty, pretty birds. Are you like channeling your inner Sicilian? <laughs> I thought that was more of a New York thing, but you know, the crossover. It is. It is definitely a New York thing, but I heard only like the super old, like, like Sicilian or I'm thinking of, I'm pretty sure there were Sicilian Jews specifically that would like that would the, the the typical one of like not like murder but moida you know like that that sound is apparently so uncommon in actual speech patterns except for like jews from a specific part of the world and i mm-hmm. think it was sicily well you know we did t- spend a, a good chunk of the morning talking about the godfather so maybe you're just <laughs> hearing that cuz it's on your mind yep very possible to the boyd sanctuary okay yeah I appreciate your New York accents. I really do. Cool. I don't even have one of my own anymore. I had it stamped out with diction class in the fame school. I Uh, used to say calamari and stuff like that. Calamari. What a character. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. If I get very frustrated, you'll probably hear... That's the most when you'll hear my New York accent, because all my vowels return to their original comfortable places as my anger or frustration rises. Your vowels return to their shouting places? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. 
All right, let's head down to the car, and then um, on the way down, do you want to talk about? I guess we're gonna be we're gonna be talking about group sex today. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you want to start with? Do you want to start with? I'm just thinking of what would be PC enough for my building until we get into the car that isn't boring for the audience. <laughs> Why don't you talk about um, how you found out about your first party before, you know, for going to your first sex party? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so my first sex party was very homegrown, as in it was in a home and there were only four of us. So it was more okay. of a orgy, I suppose, or... Yeah, yeah. An orgy is technically three people with their shoes off. I mean, three or more, right? Well, yeah, yeah. More is always the option. More is better. Um, So my first party was with my girlfriend at the time and a friend of hers and um, two other people. Excuse me. It was five of us. And that's actually where my joke about Nuva Ring and Ring Toss came from. was from that first party, which is why I never forgot it. <laughs> Nuva Ring and Ring Toss? Yeah, because Nuva Ring is uh, it's a type of birth control that you insert vaginally. And it's, a, it's like a, a plastic ring. And um, in theory, you can wear it while you're fucking. But in reality, it falls out onto whatever you are having inserted in you. (laughs) So, so the first party involved jokes of ring toss. I got my first sexual nickname, which was Lemon Drop, because of how good I taste. That's adorable. Yeah, it's very sweet. And accurate. Um... Yeah, I mean, my first party in a lot of ways set me up for just like really high expectations because it was so chill and sweet and and there was a small enough group of us that like everything we did, basically everyone agreed on. Mm -hmm. So there wasn't like, no one felt left out. There wasn't like competition for any particular person. Not that I've had those experiences so much in general, but they do come up. And you'd figure that earlier on is when those things would happen. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, it was the first time a different femme went down on me besides my girlfriend. <laughs> you that know, we watched each other get fucked, you know? That, yeah. it, was, it was great. It was honestly just like the sweetest and low key, you know, in the living room, no one was dressed up, no one had a bunch of makeup on or anything. Which is fun to do, but like those are really nice. Yeah, yeah. So I like my introduction to to group sex was much more of a communal sweet vibe than anything else. You yeah. were talking about your first homegrown sex party experience, where there were five people. Everything was super chill, and you got to watch another femme and they went down on you and they got to watch you and it was like a really fun low-key sex experience of group sex yeah and and apart from my my partner i actually never played with those people again even though we saw each other again um one of them was from out of town you know that kind of thing one of them is now married and monogamous you know um this is 
over a decade ago now. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I just lucked up. I, I, I lucked up in that my first, my first experience was really with, um, with like-minded people who were in it for the intimacy and the connection and not for right. any kind of bragging rights or, yeah, there was nothing, there was nothing about it that was, that was outside of just pleasure and connection. Um, I did just remember though that technically I had a threesome when I was 16, which is not necessarily considered group sex, but I just kind of wanted to bring it up for bragging rights. I mean, I, I would consider threesomes to be group sex, like in the same way that I consider um, BDSM from a non-elitist perspective. So for me, like if somebody wants to take a silk tie and like make it a blindfold and fuck like that, and they, they think of that as like really kinky, then it's kinky. So in the same way, I'm like, group sex to me is three or more people and if you're 16 and you have a threesome I think that counts as group sex thanks thanks it was um it was very very underwhelming <laughs> like it like we were all both good at and bad at sex so to speak like you know we knew how to use condoms and nobody had problems with the, you know feeling aroused and things like that but they didn't know how to interact with each other and even though both of the guys that I was with were bisexual so in theory it should have been a little more hot for me it was more like I got to fuck two guys <laughs> who were in the same room and not really talking at wow. all or to each other <laughs> yeah yeah it was it was it was a flat sort of experience you were also fucking like two presumably 16 17 year old yes. bisexual men we were all the same age yeah so like you know the whole baby queer phenomenon is like it's really complicated because there are no scripts yeah 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 absolutely so it's like yeah i don't look back on that like oh what a terrible time i just look back on that like that was that was young sex basically <laughs> you know that was inexperience <laughs> So what do you like best about group sex as a general concept? Well, I mean, as a massive hedonist, there's just, there, there are, there's sensations and peak, peak experiences in terms of arousal and pleasure that are not really achievable, typically, with one person. Um, I, I would say the exception to that would be anyone who has sort of spiritual sexual practices then all bets are off and you can fucking go to other dimensions and that's really awesome um but if you're not engaging in that way it's pretty difficult to to cultivate the kind of intense sexual feelings that come up in a group um and i really crave that and i've basically always craved that like i had this tiny phase in my early you know beginning puberty sexuality where the things I liked were just very very normy and vanilla and those things didn't go away it's just that they then got completely overshadowed by desire for group sex like like yeah 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 I'm remembering now <laughs> as a freshman in high school talking to my friends about how sad it was that 
I mean, the, oh God, this might sound weird, but I was like, it sucks that AIDS happened because we can't do orgies anymore. That was literally my thought, was wow. that people didn't do them anymore because it was just too unsafe. Um, the risk was too high. And when I, you know, graduated high school and like basically in my first year of college met the poly community that I'm still in contact with, with a bunch of those people and connected to them in different ways. Um, I was so happy and also so fucking shocked because I truly believed that I had missed it. I was like, it happened in the seventies. That was the time. And now we don't do those things anymore. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I, I talked to my friends for out throughout my high school years about like really wanting to do that and just knowing it wasn't a thing. And so when, <laughs> when I found that community, no one was surprised. Right. Right. And, but, you know, that I find... I liked it, you know? Of course. But I find, like, the polyamory community and the group sex communities are actually, like... There's there's overlap, for sure, but they're quite different in my experience. Yes, that is true. And just as luck would have it from the unique community I found, it was very blended from the beginning. I know. I know. I got really, really lucky. I met a bunch of poly people, many of whom liked more than one gender. So it wasn't a particularly straight dominant um, poly community. And within that, many of them also really liked group sex, both the ones that you go out to like parties that you pay for and the ones that were thrown and homegrown, you know, in people's houses. So... So I saw them as one and the same and was very, very spoiled <laughs> in that way. <laughs> Happily spoiled. <laughs> um, getting, getting spoiled, having all the slutty experiences with all the polyamorous folks. Indeed, indeed. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, like, for a while, I just didn't really date. I had my, my primary partner, and then I would just go to play parties and then sometimes from the people in those play parties I would find new sexual partners but we weren't really dating I tried I was also very young and like I I wasn't sure if I really wanted to like be explicit about that but I started all of this at 19 right I was an adult I was legal you know and I wasn't in high school anymore but just barely <laughs> and I should mention as well that a lot of people consider that monogamous behavior if you're not dating outside of your monogamous partner so you can be like like a lot of swingers for example identify as monogamous even though they have a quote-unquote primary partner that they describe as such and then they just fuck other people but sex is just sex to a lot of swingers it's not about having a relationship outside whereas when we talk about polyamory we're typically talking about loving multiple people not just fucking multiple people and when swinger behaviors are sort of seen in the polyamory world some polyamorous folks will call it polyfuckerous because they're like you're fucking lots of people but you're not like loving or dating lots of people especially where there's like an express prohibition to begin other relationships which it sounds like there wasn't in your case no 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 not at all and and both of us wanted to date and did did things to try to, to, to be dating other people actively independent from each other and together um, uh, shoot there was something I was going to say about what you just brought up that difference polyfuckerous yeah 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 I in in many ways my first few years of non-monogamy were like that they really d did look not too different from people who are just with each other and fuck other people the difference was that we 
there was no explicit rule about that. We were both very happy and open to falling for other people and did, you know, halfway through our, our, uh, the term of our relationship, we met someone else and started to date them individually. And then we all dated together. Cool. Yeah. And then we were a triad. <laughs> um, how did that come together? How did you go from dating individually to dating together? It was pretty organic and disorganized and spoke a lot to the bad habits that were to come, you know, like she met him and went out with him and was like, I think you would really like this person, basically. (laughs) And, And since, you know, what what man wouldn't try to date both people in the couple, especially hotties like us, um... You know, he was game, and so I went on a date with him, and I did find him very charming and fun, and so we we did individual dating for just a little bit, and then realized we just all wanted to hang out all the time, and just, that is, yeah. That's so cute! Yeah, the, the early days of that triad were just so adorable, and, like, I feel, I feel like if I had known better about, like, elevate uh, escalator relationship stuff that I I probably could have like avoided falling into commitment traps that didn't actually make sense for the three of us and could have just kept enjoying what did work because we were good at at a bunch of things that make up functional triadic you know relationship but there were other areas where we we're just not compatible for partnership the three of us all together that we tried to like work through and gloss over or maybe maybe we just weren't really aware until we were deep into it, you know. But but yeah, yeah. It was it was a cute cute ass thing, and and we did that whole NRE thing where we were only spending time with each other, and we would blow off plans to stay in, like all the worst things that you're not supposed to do. And I'd never really done before. Like I'd done a bit with with my first you know partner, but like. We were so social that it kind of balanced things out, and we still managed to stay out. Uh-huh. Yeah, not so much with with the uh, addition of that dick, <laughs> <laughs> which I'm using as a pun. I see. Because there was both an actual dick involved, and that person was frankly quite dickish. I just didn't know better at the time. Um, what are you gonna do? Tech, tech nerds, right? Hey, I, I mean, I'm a tech nerd too. Yeah, you're like, all right. So many things about you are like the good version of bullshit that I've put up with. <laughs> like, it's really nice to meet a nerdy tech science person who is not doing the X, Y, and Z things that have been in my previous experiences. When you said, you give like, me hope. When you said the good versions of bullshit, I was like, oh, so there is still bullshit there. It's good oh, to know you're holding no punches at least. Oh, that's not actually how I meant it. It's okay. I'm not. I'm not upset about it. I just like be honest. Like I just think it's really funny that you're like the good versions of all the bullshit. Well, I would say like when the bullshit is like tech culture and the and the patriarchy stuff wrapped into it. Right, right. Which like is gonna exist regardless of how sweet and awesome you are. <laughs> I I really appreciate. Um, yeah, you know what? I have no comment on that. It is. It is. It's gonna appreciate. And it's, it's gonna be what it is and like there's there's not much I can do to change that outside of my own actions and like trying to call people in when I can right 
Which, even though I just said that out loud, still sounds like virtue signaling to me and it bugs me. I was like, wow, I have literally no response to what you just said, which was so flattering without virtue signaling. And I don't know how to like acknowledge what you just said in a way that doesn't sound like I'm jacking myself off. <laughs> you just wanted to see me jack myself off. No, I just like to praise people that I like. It's, it's probably just like part of my love language to literally express words of affirmation words of affirmation yeah and and also the telling it like it is that's how it is for me the things that i just said um not burping into the mic i turned my head away um so we covered my first sexual group sexual experiences which were very homegrown we trailed off into triadic stuff. Um. Yes, triadic stuff. So I have a question then. Yeah. Um, when you were saying that there were certain behaviors that worked really well, that you had certain like triadic skills down, mm -hmm. do you want to talk about maybe what some of those triadic skills were that you were successful with and maybe some of the ones you weren't at first? Yeah, we... We were really good at creating structure to carve out um, quality time. Like that was a very high priority for us was to like have time for the triad. Um, and then- In Independent it, from individual dyads, you had time for the triad itself. Right, right. And for a while, what was good is that we balanced the individual with the triad and then after a certain point the triad subsumed everything and it like like we were kind of a package deal there was this point at which like right at the end of um college where like four nights out of the week were blocked off because of like agreements basically um and i just like had no time to myself and didn't realize that I had no time to myself and um, yeah I mean like a big problem for me was that I I did not carve solo time for years and years and years and like had been brought up in a place where I didn't have a lot of boundaries or personal space so like that's part of how that happens is that I was used to not having space so how was I to notice when I was having really not a lot of space um, but that was a, that was a major problem. Um, another. Those dogs are adorable. Oh, yeah. We were. Someone is rolling a dog in a stroller, and another one is walking alongside, very cute and little and trotting. Um, what Sorry. else? No, it's fine. You were talking about blocking off solo time. Yeah. So that was a problem, and I did not get good at that. And by the time our relationship was such that we wanted more space from each other. I was so ill-prepared that it just threw me into depression bouts of just like being stuck and not, I mean, it wasn't the only thing that caused that for sure, but um, yeah, I just like didn't know what to do with myself when it was just myself. Bad, really bad place to be in. And it happens to a lot of people outside of non-monogamy as well, but um, it was strange to like on the outside it looked like I had a whole lot of friends and I had this great relationship and we lived in this great place and really like 
outside of the times when we were throwing parties, it was just not good for me. Interesting. Interesting. And, you know, in a lot of ways, that sounds a lot like any relationship, you know, that can fall into those traps and can benefit from those skills. Like if I were in a monogamous relationship, um, which is not right for me, but let's say that a person, there we go, is in a monogamous relationship, they might also forget to block off solo time for themselves. They might also excel at certain types of communication and they might also make agreements to do too much stuff on too many nights. It's true. It's really true. Um, I'm trying to think other things that worked and then things that didn't work. Um, in the beginning, I I found the, the, the third who we welcomed into our relationship that he, he was really, uh, really keen on, on communicating and like talking a lot about his experiences and like things that he'd done and learned from previous relationships in a way that like gave us good information for how to proceed with our own shit and like things to try out things to not do um and that was like an interesting period I mean it's like it's it started off on like all the right feet and we were really like doing all the um recommended sort of things in relationships and we were surrounded by sex educators I was was I at that yeah at that point I did want to be one and it was like sort of starting into that and like my thesis my thesis in school for my final paper was about um sacred sexuality and cake (laughs) so I basically just like took the lifestyles that I was immersing myself in and like found a reason to write about them for school much to the discomfort of my uh my advisor who was super cool about it but I I look back on a few things and I'm just like ooh, I put her in a really uncomfortable position where she had to just read about my sex life (laughs) oh well But since we're talking about group relationships, I'm curious, have you been in any other group relationships since then? Like, since your first triad, have you been in any other, like, multi-person, triadic, or more than three kind of situations? No, definitely not. It scarred me. (laughs) It scarred me to do that. Like, the end of it was so difficult, and the place that I had allowed myself to get to was so difficult that I just I mean yeah I have not I really like triadic energy quite a bit so I think in other ways I've kept up like I've definitely played more in threes than other configurations besides like a large party where many of us are all playing um yeah, yeah, I've, I've definitely continued to gravitate towards the energy of three individuals in, in, this, in a sexual space. But no, I have not done any triadic stuff. I came real close at some point this summer to that, and, and it totally did not work out. I shouldn't say totally. It has not currently worked out. And uh, we're at a bridge right now. This is the Centennial Bridge. This is the West of Milan Centennial Bridge. So if it's rickety as fuck and as we're going over, you're unsure if we're gonna plunge to our deaths in the river below, it's because the bridge is 100 years old. Love it. 
pretty used to that in in the states the uh crumbling infrastructure and super unsafe roads so this is actually this is actually a really safe bridge because they they actually had engineering crews check it out recently and they reinforced it so like people are still keeping an eye on things Uh but yeah yeah like it looks like a kind of old ass uh, boardwalk is like the look of the wood that we're driving across cracked wood kind of thing but I'm glad that they did the the smart thing which is to check it when you have an old ass bridge you check it and then you make it better what we do in the states is we check it we find out that it's already unsafe to drive over and then we leave it and eventually someone falls into the water if you live in Washington Shit. <laughs> yeah I missed that when that happened I wasn't living there but um, but there's a couple of bridges in New York City that have been deeply unsafe for a number of years and are still there. People are still driving them. So the uh, Massey Tunnel, the deep rumbling tunnel that we went through earlier in the conversation, mm-hmm. is um, actually past its best before date. We had engineers look at it and they were like, yeah, with like a couple of things, it could last like another five years, but like, you should really replace it. We're like, okay, we'll put in a 10 lane bridge. That sounds like a good future proof idea. Um, and that's what they're gonna do, but they just started construction on the bridge. So it's like, well, hopefully it doesn't collapse in the interim. Shit. I think they got I think they got engineers to stamp off on it for like another five or ten years or something. So like we do have time, but also <laughs> it's an estimate. <laughs> Where is this farmland? Yes. It's pretty. As are as are the uh, really expensive um, houses, the farmhouses that are on the land. But yes, it is. That's the West Mountain Herb Farm over there. You can go and buy all kinds of local organic vegetables and fruits and berries that are all grown here or very nearby. And then there is Emily Farms that does strawberries. There's a fruit winery. I feel like I'm giving a fucking tour at this point. And of course, we're going to Rifle Bird Sanctuary where you'll get to hand feed the birds. <laughs> and yesterday I got a really sweet preview of the last time that Victor did that and took a bunch of pictures. So I'm like very excited to see if there's some of the same birds and stuff like that. I also just remembered a part of my dream from last night in which I opened my window and had a beautiful sort of mountain view. So maybe that is in my future. Back to sex. Yes. Um, I, I very much could, could do it again, I think, at this point. Sex? Ha! Triads. Um, like a triad relationship. I think I think I know enough now and have learned enough from what didn't work then and like just have a lot better sense of self, you know. So the the traps that I fell into just couldn't happen again more or less. Um So yeah, I mean to, to fully answer your question, like I haven't really since, but a part of me has never stopped wanting that, so it does keep coming up and I think you know, if I'm lucky and if I meet some cool people who are down for that sort of thing, I could very much see it happening again. Cool. Okay, so we've talked a little bit about group relationships. What do you dislike about group sex environments? The things that I dislike are typically more often found in industrial pay-for-it parties. Um, I don't like it to be too dark or too loud. I do not like my sex party to feel like I'm in a nightclub or bar. 
I, in fact, I like to have group sex during the daytime. Like afternoon brunch time is, is ideal for me. And, oh and, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. That, that's great. And there's excellent lighting if you want to make home porn. <laughs> or if you just want to see the hotness really clearly. Like mood lighting is awesome and having sex in low lighting and in the dark is not a bad thing. It's just when it's a bunch of strangers in a big space. Yeah. I want to see properly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I don't like that. Also a common thing at those parties is that they spend a lot of effort to make it a cool party and not necessarily as functional for the fucking, which is why everyone's there. So the space will like be very big, but the space where you can actually bone is small. Um, and it only has a couple of bedding kind of things. Um, fucking air mattresses. If you don't, don't like, please don't. They're already hard enough to sleep on, much less fuck on. And like, I get it. We we have the budgets we have, and you know, no disrespect if that's your only option for bedding. <laughs> if you're trying to throw a group party, but like, if you have any other option, like, please, a futon, even just a floor with the rug and some sheets, I think is better than a goddamn air mattress. Um, Do you remember when water beds were a big thing <laughs> in like the nineties? Uh, yeah. Sorry, just nostalgia hit me when you said they're hard enough to sleep on, let alone fuck on. And I was like, I've never been in a waterbed, but I feel like it'd be just as difficult. I think so. I think so. Um, although I do love water enough that I would probably work harder to find the ways that it was good to fuck on a waterbed. Um, yeah. Um, what else? What else do I not like? about parties um oh i didn't bring this up earlier but a lot of a lot of the earlier play party experiences i went to required a welcome circle which meant that people had to arrive at a certain time so there was a cutoff and after that you couldn't show up um and that created a sense of cohesion and safety and like everyone um, sharing basic sexual health concerns and also relationship slash sexual preferences. Like that was the, the meat and potatoes of these welcome circles was like, yeah, do the STI check-in, cover the safety bit, but also like get to know each other a little bit and get a little, a little glimpse of like things that people like and, and boundaries. Like these people are in a relationship where they don't do Z or, you know, I, they were always a little bit useless for me in that respect because me and my partners didn't have rules like that. And I, I don't really ever want to have rules like weak, sure. like you can't, like I can't be penetrated by anyone by my partner or things like that. But I, you know, I've been to enough parties where I've come across it and it's good to know. It is, it's it really is. good to know. And it's really hard to make the argument like, oh, no one told me. It's like, no, the whole group told you all together. Everyone witnessed it. You can no longer claim ignorance. So it kind of like it keeps newer people on their better behavior, in my opinion. That's a cool way of looking at it. Yeah, I think that's totally true. And it also, for me, it gave me um, ability to screen out interactions I would I would be less likely to enjoy. Like sometimes I'm I'm very down for playing with people who have restrictions like that, um, but most of the time it's it would be frustrating to me. And so if I know that about the person, then like you know I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pursue beyond like makeouts. 
because makeouts are always great and I'm never frustrated by just makeouts. <laughs> you know, like that's just a thing for me. Um, but, but if it's like, you know, if I don't know that, then, then it sucks. But if I do, then I could just choose out, I can avoid the frustration altogether and they can go interact with people who don't mind any right. of that. Right. Exactly. Yeah, it's like it's it's for it's great for good behavior and it's just a great way to increase pleasure for all involved. People getting what they really want out of the group sex experience. Yeah. Yeah, that's significant. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we have just arrived at George C. Rifle Migratory Bird Sanctuary, so we should probably, you know what, let's finish the last couple of questions in the car and then we can head in after that. Um, so we're talking about group sex experiences, all the things you like, all the things you dislike. I really do like the welcome circle. I like how you were talking about um, ways to get to know each other. I think for me, when I think about the ways that we get to know each other at sex parties, I think about icebreakers, strangely enough, because mm-hmm. there are a lot of ways to make icebreakers really bad. Like um, icebreakers can definitely be boring However, you can do icebreakers such that they're interesting, fun, and sexy. Um, One of the sex-positive, sex-on-premises communities that I have been a part of for a while does this really cool thing where they give everyone, they make out all the cards first, and the cards will have up to four different symbols, up to four different colors, and up to four different numbers. So you'll have like like an at sign, um, and then like a one, or you'll have like... Um, you'll, sorry, you'll have one at sign, two, three, or four at signs, and they'll have, and they'll all be like, um, red, blue, green, or like, um, say gold, right? And then they do that with with four different kinds of signs, four different colors, four different numbers of each, and you just end up with like all of these different variations, and then it will be like everybody with four of something in this group for your first icebreaker, and then it'll be everybody who's red in this group for your next icebreaker, and then it will be everybody who has um, an at sign in this group. So there's several different ways to split the group up, and they're all pretty randomly assorted. So you hand out the cards at random, but then when you're breaking up the groups for icebreakers, there's this really random feeling shuffle where you don't feel like anyone is putting you in a group as an adult, but everyone ends up very randomly sorted multiple times. And then you do consent games, and there are lots of different consent games you can do. You can do ones like you can make it a no experience where someone has to ask you Um, someone will say, hi, my name is Victor and I'm interested in getting a shoulder rub. Um, who would like to give me a shoulder rub? And what, and if, if no one in the group wants to, then no one puts up their hand. But typically like one person in the group will be like, sure, I'll give you a shoulder rub. Um, and then you, you have to make an ask and then they have to say no. And then you have to adjust your ask. I think I'm combining two different games. One of them is to volunteer yourself for an activity and get someone to do the activity, but then the person who did the last activity has to introduce themselves and ask for something. So oh, it's Oh, I haven't actually done that one. I like that. That one's a fun one because it gets people more comfortable with asking, but then there's also a no one that I was conflating. Yeah, that's where you just practice saying no regardless of, of desire. So like someone asks you for a thing and you just say no, and then you reverse. Exactly. So you'll have people saying... Um, I, are you, would you like to kiss me? And the other person, no matter how much they want to kiss you, has to say no. Mm-hmm. And what's really interesting is you get to see how good people are at boundary setting because I've had people say no 
and then immediately afterwards be like, um, I'm, I'm so sorry I had to say no. Like I would, I would normally say yes. Mm-hmm. And it was like, wow, like they really didn't need to explain any of that. They could have just come up to me afterwards and been like, so how do you feel about a kiss now? Um, you know, or done something like that. And it wouldn't have been like getting two no's because the game is itself separate from your desire and that's made expressly clear. Mm-hmm. But you really get to like watch people do the gymnastics of like, and you get a really good sense for like, how strong is this person with boundary setting? Yeah, yeah. That exercise often has people laughing a lot because they're just so nervous to say no point blank to another human being. Like the fear of, of hurting them mm-hmm. is like that real. Sorry, it's just really hot. Yeah. We had to open the doors. There we uh, go. Yeah. It is a hot summer day. You, what you just described, though, made me think a, think a bit about my earlier experiences and how, like, basically it was either a private party that was very nurturing and curated and full of, like, good consent setups and then parties that just didn't do that at all um and you literally just walked in and cruised about um which is probably why I didn't like them as much because I was I was young enough that I barely knew how to date so like I also didn't know how to like pick people up in bars and like picking someone up at a sex party is an analogous skill it's not exactly the same but it's pretty damn similar like in terms of risk and having to assess nonverbal things and sort of you know feel it out I guess um it also made me think that the parties that I did go to that were curated still lacked comprehensive consent like demonstrations it was it was like all encapsulated in the welcome circle and then when that was over and the party proper began it was like and you're off, you know, like you just sort of had to figure it out. Um, which, you know, is not so bad. And especially if it's like, you know, less than 30 people in a room. Um, it's not too hard for a social animal like me to, to manage. But, um, but yeah, yeah, it was just kind of, it was, it made me, it made me pause hearing descriptions of those like consent games and like multiple rounds of them like that's that's awesome it's it's really powerful because you end up with um i mean hopefully when you're producing these intentional communities do you want to just close your door folks are trying to yeah when you're creating these intentional communities it's it's just i mean obviously you're trying to get people who all share the same values and hopefully some of those are around consent but that just because they share the values doesn't mean they know how to practice it it's sort of like saying well you have a room of 50 people who all want to have group sex that should just work fine with no moderation it's like well just because they have the same desires sort of or they fall into the same group doesn't mean they're going to be good at all the skills so having a way to like train folks on how to actually do the skills for a group sex environment is really important i just thought of a choir analogy just because you get a group of people together who sing and like to sing doesn't mean they're going to know how to be a choir. Yeah. Yeah, that's well put. I think we should close the session. We'll do another one on group sex once we're inside the bird sanctuary. This will give us time to go to the bathroom, take care of ourselves, and get all set up. Okay. Yay! All right. Bye, friends. Bye. 
So how did you like it, Intimates? Leave your comments on facebook.com slash intimate interactions or directly on patreon.com slash Victor Salmon. Both communities are easy to find from intimatepodcast.com. So what are you waiting for? Go join the free Intimates community and start connecting with others. I'll see you on there. Disclaimer. I apologize if I said something that hit a nerve or played off a hateful idea or stereotype. I'm open to being called in. Chances are, in six months, I'll look back aghast and see something problematic I've since grown from. I'm certainly not perfect, but I am trying to be mindful of the voices I lift up and the perspectives I encourage. You can email feedback to podcast at victorsalmon.com. Thanks for your kindness. Attribution. The tracks I use are published under the Creative Commons Attribution License. The intro track was Lost Souls by Portrayal, and the outro track was Restoration by Uncle Milk. Land Acknowledgement I apologize first for any pronunciations I might butcher. I wanted to acknowledge that I recorded this podcast on the unceded traditional Coast Salish territories of the Musqueam, Kwantlen, Stazuminus, Stolo, Sawasan, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. Shout out to the Sekwepmek Nation, on whose land I got my degree, considering the Kamloops Indian Residential School closed only in 1996 when I was 10, I have found nothing but unending patience and kindness in the Tekemlupste Sekwepmek folks with whom I've interacted. Let's never forget genocide in the hope we don't make the same dehumanizing, cruel mistakes again. Thank you.